as we open up your word this morning. Oh God, I pray that we would be thrilled in our hearts. The glorious proclamation and declaration in your word of your victory. And Lord, I pray that it would change us. Lord, I pray, God, this morning that your spirit would do what I cannot accomplish. And Lord, in my weakness, would you be my strength? I pray, God, that Christ would be glorified through the preaching of your word. And Lord, I pray as a result that that through the wisdom of God, Lord, that people would see the, the beauty and the resurrection of Jesus. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You got your Bibles this morning. If you'd open up to Hebrews chapter 13. Hebrews chapter 13. You may be thinking, why in the world are we continuing in our study in the book of Hebrews? It's Easter. Is it going to be business as usual today? Well, I hope you know me better than that. We, what we're going to see today, though, is a glorious proclamation of the resurrection of Jesus. And I was baffled by this because as I was looking at this a few weeks out and wondering how today would fall, and, and I, I pray that you're going to be surprised, encouraged, and just affirmed in your understanding of the resurrection because today we're going to look at a message entitled Resurrection Power. How apart from the resurrection of Jesus, all that we know about Christianity, all that we consider about the Christian life, is an absolute impossibility. I want us to read, as we conclude out almost all of the book of Hebrews, we're writing and reading this letter that the author is writing to a group of Jewish Christians tempted to go back to Judaism. And he writes to them, wanting them to understand the wonder and the supremacy of the Lord Jesus Christ. And throughout the letter, he has been showing that Jesus is greater than angels, greater than Moses, greater than the prophets, greater than the tabernacle, greater than the priesthood, greater than any shadow that you might could come up with that's in the Old Testament. Jesus Christ fulfills it. He is the substance of those shadows. And at the end of the letter, he is concluding with instruction for how Christians are to live, how these Christians we perceive are in Italy how these Jews can live in the midst of a culture where they are suffering, where they are being persecuted. How can they live? And he read, we read starting in verse 9. Do not be led away by diverse and strange teachings, for it is good for the heart to be strengthened by grace, not by foods which have not benefited those devoted to them. We have an altar from which those who serve the tent have no right to eat. For the bodies of those animals whose blood is brought into the holy places by the high priest as a sacrifice for sin are burned outside the camp. So Jesus also suffered outside the gate in order to sanctify the people through his own blood. Therefore, let us go to him outside the camp and bear the reproach he endured. For here we have no lasting city, but we seek the city that is to come. Through him, then let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God. That is the fruit of lips that acknowledge his name. Do not neglect to do good and to share with what you have for such sacrifices are pleasing to God. Obey your leaders and submit to them for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning for that would be of no advantage to you. Pray for us 
For we are sure that we have a clear conscience designed to act honorably in all things. I urge you the more earnestly to do this in order that I may be restored to you the sooner. But then there's a benediction, a benediction that we can't miss. In verse 20, notice how he begins to sum this up. He says, and and if you got your scripture there, this slide's not coming up. Read it with me. Now may the God of peace, who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus Christ, the great shepherd of the sheep by the blood of the eternal covenant, equip you with everything good that you may do his will, working in us that which is pleasing in his sight through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. Notice that. Verse 20, what does he say? May the God of peace who brought again from the dead, our Lord Jesus. Now, what does he, how does he describe Jesus here? He describes him as the great shepherd of the sheep, And then he says, by the blood of the eternal covenant. Now notice this. May the God of peace who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, but he brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus by the blood of the eternal covenant. Now chew on that form with me for a second. I like how one scholar put it, F.F. Bruce said years ago, he said, Jesus was brought up from death by the blood of the eternal covenant and that Christ's resurrection is the demonstration that his sacrifice of himself has been accepted by God. Have you ever written a check and you wondered if it was going to clear? Not you guys, I know. There's too much in the account, but uh, I'm joking. But you've lived dangerously. I know you have. You can relate with me where you wrote that check or your spouse wrote that check and you're like, oh no, it just might not clear. And you just can't wait to find out whether it clears. I know now it's a little different with all of our digital banking, but I remember years ago I sold a truck and and the guy met me at the bank coming from Michigan and we were going to meet at nine and he tells me on the spot, he's like, man, I got to get on the road. I got to drive all day to get back. I came all the way here from Michigan and I'm sitting there going, oh no. I was going to try to clarify and confirm that that check was good. And he looked at me and I looked at him. I didn't know him from Adam. And he gave me that check. And I sat anxiously waiting for three or four days to see if that check was going to clear. And when it cleared, it confirmed that he had the money in his account. You see, when Jesus Christ went to the cross, we've learned in the book of Hebrews that he's a sufficient, he's a glorious high priest. And his sacrifice was sufficient. And the absolute proof of the sufficiency of his sacrifice was that God the Father raised him from the dead. But this morning, keep going with me in this benediction, verse 20 and 21. He says what? He prays something. The author of Hebrews, may the God of peace, and then he explains, he's the shepherd of the sheep. He has been raised by the Father. But what is he praying He's praying that they would be equipped with every good thing that they may do his will. Now notice this. He's praying that they would be enabled to live out 
these instructions that they would be enabled to live the Christian life, that they could do this obediently, that they could do this maturely, that they could do this in an acceptable way. But how does he bank the whole thing? What is the ultimate basis of it? Working in us that which is pleasing in his sight through Jesus Christ. See, apart from Jesus Christ, we have no capacity to live the Christian life. And this Easter Sunday, I want to affirm to you as we get started, and we're going to have to move quick. We're going to move fast. But I want to affirm to you this morning, the foundation of the Christian faith is the death, burial, and resurrection of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And apart from the resurrection, we are hopeless this morning. And I want us to consider something. It's impossible to fulfill God's call apart from the resurrection. It's impossible for us to do God's will. And what we're going to do this morning, we're going to look at several ways the resurrection is absolutely essential in our day-to-day lives as Christians from the context we're in here in Hebrews chapter 13. And what we're going to see that in our immediate context, and we could go so much further back to illustrate this, we're going to see without the resurrection, there is no hope for life. This morning, the first way that we see it's essential, the first way we see it's essential, apart from the resurrection, no true salvation. Apart from the resurrection, there can be no true salvation. I don't have time to go through verses 9 through 12, line by line, word by word. But what I want you to begin to see here is that the author of Hebrews is making a contrast all through the book. And he's making a a contrast between a method of approaching God based on the law or approaching God through the grace of Jesus Christ. It's something we can all understand. One aspect is based on law-keeping. One aspect is based on religious living. One aspect is based on a mentality that the law can do something that I need for it to do to accomplish something in my life to make me pleasing to God. But what he wants them to understand is that any method or any way of approaching God outside of Jesus Christ is absolutely worthless and hopeless and provides no benefit at all. I wonder this morning, I, I know we can, even Christians in this room can look back at some point in their life where they misunderstood the gospel. And maybe you came to a service like this and you came to a religious opportunity and your mindset was thinking that I need to do something in order to make myself right with God. I need to go on the holy days. I need to be here and I need to do something. But I want you to see something here. He's he's showing a contrast. He says, do not be led away by diverse and strange teachings for it is good for the heart to be strengthened by grace, not by foods which have not benefited those devoted to them. He's speaking, I think, of like under Judaism, there was an emphasis on obeying the dietary laws. There was an emphasis on observing all the food laws. And what he's speaking of here is he's like, look, in a big paraphrase, it's like, look, the only nourishment that can provide hope for your soul, the only nourishment and strength that can bring you forgiveness, 
The only nourishment that can meet the longings of your heart is through the grace of your great high priest. But if you attempt to devote yourselves to religious ritual, if you attempt to devote yourself to any other man-made way, it will leave you disillusioned. It will leave you with no benefit. It will leave you all alone. And what he's showing them is, he's showing them the beauty of the perfect sacrifice of Christ. When we come through this weekend, as we've been thinking about Holy Week since last Sunday, and we look at the cross of Jesus Christ, well, I pray you'd ask yourself this morning, if I can earn my way to God based on my own living, based on my own deeds, based on my own ability, then why did Jesus have to die? Then why is there a Good Friday? What would be the need for that? He's showing them that only Christ can sustain, only Christ can provide. But law, the law, in, in, in an attempt to justify yourself, it's like the law on the ladder that I mention to you all the time. If you got a ladder on the stage and we're changing out bulbs and I climb up the ladder, some people look at the law like that ladder. If I climb the ladder and do what God asked me to do, I, by nature, am going to get closer to him. But the problem is the law condemns us. The law doesn't justify as it condemns us. The law shows us that we're sinners. The law brings no access, no forgiveness, no purified conscience, no power to obey. There, every religious system that we could list on a whiteboard if we had one up here that we can think of in the world today, every religious system, only Christianity proposes a different solution. Every other system is a system of man's approach to how to be justified before God. But the gospel of Jesus Christ, we have an Easter because it's a proclamation that only Christ can accomplish what is necessary for our soul. Only Christ can provide forgiveness. Only Christ can bring nourishment. And we see that even in Romans, that, that, that I want you to see this morning that apart from the resurrection of Jesus Christ, there can be none of this nourishment in Christ. In Romans 4, Jerry alluded to it. Just as he was praying, Romans 4, who was delivered up for our trespasses, and look at that last line, and raised for our what? For our justification. The benefit that we receive in believing in Jesus Christ. This morning, the call goes out to anyone in this room that don't, to not depend on yourself for your ultimate right ability to be right with God but to trust in the work of Jesus Christ. For by grace have you been saved through faith and not out of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not a works, lest any man should boast. Ephesians 2.8 says, the only way that we can experience the nourishing grace that Jesus provides is by believing on him and what he did at the cross. He took our sin upon himself. And the scripture reveals that only those who trust in him receive eternal life. But without the resurrection of Jesus Christ, there's no benefit. You remember in John chapter six, what did Jesus say? I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger. And whoever believes in me shall never thirst. I don't know about you, but at our house, especially my, young, my younger two, they're hungry all the time. They're eating us out of the house. There's not enough cereal. I bought Frosted Flakes yesterday. It's gone. It's gone. Always hungry. 
I need more. I need more. This didn't satisfy me. I didn't like dinner. I didn't like my snack. That's exactly what happens when we attempt to earn our way to God. We find that it doesn't bring us anything. But through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, it nourishes and satisfies our soul. We could look at John 7, 37, when Jesus says, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. He's the only one that can satisfy. This morning, are you depending on your own self to earn your way? Maybe you're like, I put myself through school. I worked hard and became a star athlete. I scored well in all my tests. I started my own business. I'm successful in life. And you're tempted to think that it carries over into the spiritual realm. Friend, I urge you to see that you can't do one more work on your own that will secure your eternal fate with God. It won't work. It's a devastating lie. It's only through the resurrecting power of Christ that brings nourishment to those who trust in him. But then I want you to see something else. Apart from the resurrection, not only is there no spiritual nourishment, apart from the resurrection, there's no ability to endure. Look at verse 13. He comes down to verse 13. Therefore, let us go to him outside the camp and bear the reproach he endured. He's calling them to realize that Christ was sacrificed outside the gate. And when he was sacrificed outside the gate, it was a sign that Christ took on reproach. He took on reproach and and he was ostracized and now he's turning this around and he's saying to the people and he's saying, look, I want you, I want you to endure and he bore the reproach and now you follow in his steps. You follow faithfully. But again, remind yourself of that benediction in verse 20 and 21. The author prays, may he equip you to do his will through Jesus Christ. And what did we learn about Jesus Christ? He was the one that was brought from the dead. This morning, there's no ability to endure in the Christian life apart from the risen power of Christ, apart from the resurrection power of Jesus. You see, I remember Philippians, for it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ, you should not only believe in him, but also suffer. It's suffering as part of the Christian life, enduring persecution, enduring trial, But notice something. You remember later on when Paul's writing in Philippians, he says, I count everything as lost because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ. And he goes on down in verse 9. And be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. And then look what he says. That I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings. How can I share the sufferings of Christ apart from his life-giving resurrection power? As I was looking at this text, really thinking about what to do with it today, I want you to see that we can't endure apart from resurrection power. I think sometimes we literally get caught up into a mentality where we're trapped into thinking that God saved us so we can live our best attempt at living the Christian life. But sometimes we lose sight of the fact that you realize the Christian life is an impossibility. If there's no risen Christ and if there's no resurrection life, there's no ability to do the commands of the scripture. The reason why the law was of no benefit to people, one, it didn't provide forgiveness. Two, it didn't enable what it commanded. 
The law can tell you to do a lot of things, but you're still powerless to do them. But through the resurrection power of Christ, we've been raised to life, and he who raised us to life gives life to our mortal bodies that we can live for him. When I go to sleep at night, I like hearing one of those sound machine things. You like those? Some people hate them. One of my kids doesn't like it at all. And it's like, turn that off. I'm like, no, I can't do it. I got to have it full blast, full blast. And, and, and you know what, though? Sometimes I have, to make, I have to make a gamble because I can't find, because there's these people, I don't know who it is, they come in my house and they take all my chargers. It's unreal. I can, like, hide them. I've got, like, I used to have, like, five. They're gone, gone, never there, never there. And so when I've, some nights I go to bed, I don't want to go looking through the house. And I'm like, you know what? I got 87%. I think I can make it all night and still get my alarm but I need my sound machine. You, you tracking with me? And I'm sitting there going, wait, 87%. I've even timed it before and thought, okay, every four minutes it's going down. Upper, and I'm like, uh-oh, I'm done. That's not good. I got seven hours to go. But, but I'll look at it and it, it'll crank up and that thing is just running and putting me to sleep. But then something awful happens. I wake up either late to an appointment or I wake up at 3.30 in the morning and it's dead quiet and I hate it. It's dead quiet. Why? Because my phone didn't have the stamina to hold out. Friend, apart from the risen power of Christ, you don't have the stamina to hold out in this Christian life. And if Jesus Christ has not been raised, he's setting his whole argument, he's setting his entire instructions based on the reality that if Christ has not been raised, we don't have a great high priest and we are powerless with no benefit to live this life. But Christ Jesus enables us to endure. You can't make it without him. I can't make it without him. But, but praise to him this morning through his resurrection life. You don't know what faces you tomorrow. So many of you have gone through tragedies that are unimaginable but I want you to think, we don't even know what's going to come tomorrow. We don't know what the future holds, but the beauty of the Christian life is that the one who raised from the dead not only raised us up with him by grace through faith, but enables us by his power to continue to endure and to keep going. Thirdly, apart from the resurrection, there's no future hope. This keeps getting better and better. Look what he says in verse 14. For here we have no lasting city, but we seek the city that is to come. This city, this future hope, he's speaking of our heavenly home. In, in the book of Hebrews, in one commentator I was looking at, mentioned how he does a great job in the book of Hebrews. He describes this heavenly home as heaven, an eternal inheritance, a final resting place, a kingdom, a country. It's a city that is to come. It, it points to that which is future and promised and anticipated. Their pilgrimage, this commentator said, is impelled by an earnest sense of expectancy. And I want you to see something this morning. That the Christian faith is built not on trying to distance itself from Christ's resurrection and, or his death on the cross. It's not like there's an alternative plan at the moment that Jesus goes to the cross that now we need to spiritualize what he did on the cross. Do you realize the authors of scripture doubled down 
And from that point on, do you realize that even in the book of Acts, that every key sermon centers not on just the wonder of the death of Jesus Christ, it centers on the hope of the resurrection. And there they were. Exhibit A was in Jerusalem. And where are they proclaiming the gospel? Jerusalem. And what do they center their message on? Some type of spiritualized Jesus that we want to distance ourselves from because now he's over there in the grave? No, they say, listen, without the resurrection of Jesus Christ, there's nothing. They point it all to the resurrection of Jesus. And that's our hope this morning. Apart from the resurrection, there's no future hope but there can be hope experienced because of the resurrection. You remember when Jesus raised Lazarus and that wonderful story? In John 11, Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now, I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. And then Jesus says the unthinkable, your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. She didn't understand what he was saying. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. Romans says, for if we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. First Corinthians says, and if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. Philippians says, but our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. And guess what 1 Corinthians says? In fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, and look at how it refers to his resurrection, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. And you know what that means? It means the reason we have hope for another city, the reason we don't have to put all of our hopes and all of our eggs in a basket in this world, banking it on the city that is here, the city of man, the reason why we can put our expectations and longings and hopes into the city of God is because of what? Because Jesus is the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. And it means that his resurrection is proof that all of ours will follow. And what did Jesus say in John 14? Don't you know I go to prepare a place for you? In my Father's house are many mansions. I mean, what are we looking at here? But here's what I want you to see. If we look at Christianity simply as an ethic, the Judeo-Christian ethic, live this way, act this way, friend, there's no power to live out of that ethic. The only way this works of Jesus Christ walks out of that tomb. And the only way this works is the very way that the author of Hebrews defines it. He says, may he equip you through Jesus Christ. The book of Hebrews is written about 67 AD, over 30-something years from the time that Jesus died on a cross. And that the author of Hebrews says, look, the only way God will strengthen you is through the living power of Christ. This morning, I pray that you have true hope. I pray that you have true hope. You remember back in Hebrews 2, those that are with us then, it says, since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise partook of the same things, that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is the devil. And look at this next verse. And deliver 
all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. This morning, are you scared to death of dying? I really believe, friends, that so many people that we're looking at in the world, what we're finding is, is that their ultimate aim is to preserve their life because there's nothing else they can hope in. But friend, today, the hope of the resurrection is not only just hope for true salvation, it's not only just hope and ability to endure, but it is the promise of true hope and it's only through the risen power of Christ. But number four, apart from the resurrection, there's no true worship. Look at how he sets this up. In verse 15, through him, then let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God. That is the fruit of lips that acknowledge his name. Do not neglect to do good and to share with what you have for such sacrifices are pleasing to God. If you remember, when we were looking at chapter 13 and we went in there, it was like he was speaking about sacrifices at the end of chapter 12. And then he starts out chapter 13, and it's as if he's saying, look, part of the sacrifices you offer to God are love, purity, contentment. And here he adds more to the list, sacrifice of praise to God, doing good to others. But here's what I want you to think about. How do you look at this? God desires us to worship him. But let me ask you something. How are we going to do that when we read in the dilemma of the Scripture? The dilemma of the Scripture is that the book of Isaiah speaks about that our sin separates us from God, that how are we going to offer up what is acceptable? Because Jesus says what to the woman at the well? He says, woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor on Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know for salvation is from the Jews. But then he says, but an hour is coming and now it's here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. Now let me ask you something. It's one thing to go and present your religious offering. But it's one thing to be dead in sin and an enemy of God and figure out the means by which you can offer up to God that which is acceptable in his sight. How is that going to happen? It's only going to happen through the resurrection power of Christ. How would they live lives of worship only as God equipped them to do his will through the power of the risen Christ? The only way that we can worship God is through his power. The only way that we look at Romans 7, likewise, my brothers, you also have died to the law through the body of Christ so that you may belong to another, to him who has been raised from the dead. Now notice this last phrase, in order that we may what? Bear fruit for God. Do you realize today the only way you can adequately worship God is because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ? I tell you, it, it, it's humbling, but it's glorifying to Jesus. Do you realize that it doesn't matter how good you are to other people? It doesn't matter how much you seek to be a good citizen involved in whatever club or organization you can think of locally, that we still are sinners and we are alienated from God. And James says that if we've broken the law of God in only one point, we're guilty of breaking the entirety of the law. And what do we need? What do people that are dead spiritually need in order now to be acceptable and pleasing to God? They need an acceptable high priest. 
They need one to do for them what they couldn't do for themselves. And the mystery and the proclamation of the gospel is that Christ Jesus died for sinners like me. Christ Jesus died for sinners. And now through the power of his Holy Spirit enables us, once who were dead in our sins, now to offer up that which is pleasing to God. And notice how he says it here. I I wish we had two more hours, but I know we don't. Look at the beginning of verse 13. How are they going to offer these sacrifices? What's the first two words? Through him. If you follow the pronouns and you go back two verses, guess who he's speaking about? Jesus Christ. The only hope we can offer up sacrifices through the risen Christ. But next, apart from the resurrection, there's no true church. There's no true church. You may be thinking, where in the world are you getting this? Well, well, look at verse 17. Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. What in the world? He's speaking about the church. He's speaking about their elders. He's speaking about the leaders. But let me ask you something. Go further. How does the resurrection of Christ affect this? Well, believe it or not, it does. You see, you may be thinking, I thought the church was just a gathering of a bunch of people who organized under a denominational name, much like Kiwanis. That meets at the, you know, I remember they used to go to Western Sizzling. I went a couple times. And and that's what we do. We get together because we have common hobbies and we have the same religion. Well, that's not the church. The church is the living body of Christ. You realize that the church cannot function, the church cannot exist if Christ has not been raised. But he has been raised. And Romans says, for in one body we have many members and the members do not have all the same function. We're a part of one body. And this body needs a living head and life source. In Ephesians 4, rather speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head into Christ Now, wait a minute, you mean to tell me that the life source of the body that Paul explains to the church at Ephesus many, many years, 20, 35 years after the the, the crucifixion of Jesus Christ, he says that Jesus Christ is the head of the church? It's difficult if your carcass is laying in a grave to provide nourishment and strength to the body of people assembled. But the risen Christ sustains the church. And what did he do? And remember in Ephesians 4.10, he who descended is the one who also ascended far above the heavens that he might fill in all things. And what is he speaking about? I think he's, he's talking about the one who descended down in his incarnation, but the one who ascended. And what did he do when he ascended? When he ascended, he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and the teachers. And what we learn there in this passage is that Christ possessed the authority and the sovereignty, as one man said, to assign the spiritual gifts. As he ascended after his crucifixion, after his death, after his burial, after his resurrection, as he ascended and as he was moving towards his exaltation, he gave gifts to men. And part of the gifts that he gave were gifted men. Gifted men that he gave the church, not because they were talented, not because they were better than others, out of his pure grace. And this is awesome. What's amazing here is even in this command for the church to function with order, with leaders, with accountability, with functioning, all of that is only possible because of the risen Christ. The only people that can serve as leaders that are called by God 
are due to the fact that, that the risen Christ is the one who gave the very gifts that they used to operate out of. This morning, there can be no church. Do you realize apart from the resurrection, we're just one other group that meets in Scottsboro, Alabama. There's no meaning. There's no rhyme. There's no purpose. And sadly, many of you may be here today, and that's your exact thought of the church of Jesus. But I want you to know something. That's not what the church is. The church has a living head, and the living head is the living Lord Jesus Christ. And he gives life to his body. And the people that are in that body have one thing in common. They were dead, alienated, separated by God. And guess what happened? But in the midst of their separation, God, rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you've been saved and raised us up with him. Now notice this and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. And friend, what it means for us today, that apart from the resurrection, there is no church. Finally, apart from the resurrection, there's no true prayer. Look at how he finishes this out. He finishes this out with an exhortation for them to pray for him. And as you look there in, in chapter 13 down near verse 18 and 19, look at what we read. He says, pray for us, for we are sure that we have a clear conscience desiring to act honorably in all things. I urge you the more earnestly to do this in order that I may be restored to you the sooner. You may be with us today and think, wait a minute, that's not, that has nothing to do with the resurrection. People can pray whether they want to or not. I agree with that, but can they be heard? Can they get access? You can pray to your blue in the face. You can pray to any wall. You can pray to any God. You can pray to anything you want, but there's only one way that you have access and boldness and freedom in speaking to be assured that your prayers are actually heard, and it's through the great high priest who gives us boldness in our speaking. I tell you, we can't even pray without what Christ has accomplished for us. Isaiah says this, but your iniquities have made a separation between you and your God and your sins have hidden his face from you so that he does not hear. This morning, friend, I want to encourage you with all that I have. If you're with us today and you've never trusted in Jesus Christ, understand the dilemma you're in. You're in a dilemma where the basis of your life has no benefit, receives no forgiveness, and you are under the judgment of God. But friend, today, I'm so thankful you're here because it's Easter Sunday. And the declaration that I want to give to you today is that because Jesus Christ has raised from the dead, he has the power to take your soul alienated and dead in sin and to make it alive in Jesus Christ. That's what Easter's all about. You see, without Christ, you can pray all you want, but the problem is the Lord is far from the wicked, but he hears the prayer of the righteous. Well, how in the world can we be righteous? We need a righteous substitute. We need somebody to do for us what we can't do for ourselves because Romans 3, 10 to 13 says that, that we are unrighteous 
There's no one who seeks after God. We're in a predicament where we can't be heard and we can't gain access to God and his grace and his mercy. But thanks be to God, he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. That's good news, amen? In order to pray, we need a mediator. Since then, we have a great high priest who's passed through the heavens. Jesus, the son of God, let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who's unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. And look at the implication. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of Need And now we boldly pray, and what do we learn how we're to pray? John 14, whatever you ask, in whose name? My name. We pray in Jesus' name. Why? He's our mediator. He's our advocate. Now, because he's our high priest and because he paid the price for our sins, we can boldly, with freedom in speaking, we can come before his throne because he has set us free. That's what Easter's all about. Without Easter, without the resurrection, you can't pray. You have no access to God. You're separated from God. There's no hope. 1 Corinthians 15 says, you are still in your sins. There's no hope. But this morning, what do we see? We see the benefits and the joys of the resurrection of Jesus. We sum all these up. We see that Apart from the resurrection, there's no true salvation. Apart from the resurrection, there's no ability to endure. Apart from the resurrection, there's no true hope. Apart from the resurrection, there's no true worship. Apart from the resurrection, no true church. Apart from the resurrection, no ability to pray. So this morning, in order for you to experience salvation, you need to experience life from the one who conquered death. I got good news for you. The only people in here that are Christians are people who've experienced grace from the life giver. When we look at Christianity as sadly a bunch of people who've arrived, who've worked harder at being moral, who've achieved another level of goodness, we've completely distorted and misunderstood the beauty of the cross of Christ. But friend, today you may think you don't understand. You don't know how bad I am. You don't know how sinful I am. You've got good company in me today, friend. Because it says in the scripture, for all of sin and fall short of the glory of God, the wages of sin is death. Jeremiah says that the heart is desperately, deceitfully sick. And friend, apart from the grace of Christ, I'm nothing but an alienated enemy of God. And the only way today that I can stand up here and proclaim and preach God's word is because the one who conquered the death, the one who raised from the dead, brought life to my body, brought life to my spiritual place. He's the one who saved me from my sin. And the good news for you today, friend, is that whoever will call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. Today, we celebrate Easter I want to read to you again Ephesians 2.8. For by grace you've been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. Today I plead with you. 
What a wonderful day to experience the kindness of God. Maybe it's Easter Sunday, 2022, when the Lord opens up your eyes to see the reality that apart from him, you have no ability to save yourself. Apart from him, you can earn no benefit spiritually. But by the grace of Jesus Christ, he strengthens, sustains, forgives, brings hope, and changes our entire predicament before a holy God. We go from being enemies to being reconciled to being friends of God. Today, if you're with us and you've never trusted Christ, I challenge you, if the Holy Spirit's working in your life and today's the day you're like, I want to trust in Jesus. In Luke chapter 18, there was a man who was a tax collector. He was looked at as like the outcast of society. And you know the, the prayer that he uttered in Luke 18? It says that he was unwilling to raise his head, but he beat his breast. And he said, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. This morning, crying out to the Lord is an honest appeal of your heart and trust and dependence upon the promises of God that he gives you in his word. And I want to encourage you, friend, today, if that's what you have done, even as you sit there in your seat, would you please tell me afterwards? Would you please let us know? We would love to rejoice with you and encourage you in your faith. But today, it's not a somber ending of the service because today we come and we take the Lord's Supper. And Mike's going to come up. And, and I want to go over some things with you real quick. The, the way we're going to do this is we've got tables, one over there and one in the back. And so uh, if we could just maybe watch as, you know, go section by section, maybe start up here in the front section right here. And over there, you guys can just go as you see the line emptying. And then let, maybe let the first section get what they need and then the back section go to the table. But what this is all about, you may be here and you're thinking, oh, no, I don't know what to do. Here's what I want you to know. If you're not a believer, don't be embarrassed and don't do anything. Just sit right where you are. No one's watching you and no one's wondering what you're doing. Just sit right where you are. And I want you just to listen and I want you to watch and observe what we're doing. Because this supper is a message and a testimony of the gospel of Jesus Christ. But today, if you're here and you've trusted in Jesus Christ, you know, in the New Testament, the only way we're saved is by grace through faith in Christ, by believing and depending and trusting in him. But then the, the way that, that those that are saved, the way that they are publicly brought into the church and manifested that they are believers is through the waters of baptism. Baptism doesn't save you. Baptism is an outward symbol of an inward reality. But that's the way that then you have been brought into the family visibly. You've been brought into the family by grace through faith. Baptism can't save you, but baptism is an outward symbol. The day if you have trusted in Christ and you have been publicly identified with Christ in baptism, then this supper is designed for you. And, and I want you to, as you go to the table, get your cup and get your bread and go back to your seat. And what I'm going to ask you to do is while you move around the room and when you go back to your seat, I'm going to ask you to be quiet because it's going to be tempting at this point just to talk amongst yourselves. I want you to prayerfully consider what we've looked at in the Word 
And I want you to prayerfully, reverently just go to the Lord in prayer as we prepare to take the Lord's Supper together. So I'm going to pray. Mike's going to play. And then that will be your invitation to go to the table and get what you need. Lord, I thank you for the power of the resurrection. I pray, God, right now as we prepare to take communion, Lord, that you would speak to our hearts. Lord, I pray as we remember and reflect on the meaning of the bread and the cup, I pray you'd be glorified. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.